G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. So the kingdom is a focus for us, um, as I think it always should be. And the kingdom actually has a, a mention in the reason why we exist. So we exist to see the family of God expand through our shared kingdom life in McLaren Vale. And we're just having a chance to focus in on the kingdom itself. If you've got a Bible handy, I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 3. There are some Bibles here in between uh, the rows. Open up to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to read about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Boom. John the Baptist didn't mind saying it as it was. Said some pretty intense stuff. And he says something in there which is repeated by Jesus in the following chapter. Does anyone know what it is? Does anyone know what he says, as recorded there in Matthew chapter 3, that Jesus says word for word in the following chapter? Boom. VJ1, Dave 0. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Does anybody notice any difference at all in the sentence spoken by John and the sentence spoken by Jesus? So just to make it a bit easier, it's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that Jesus says it. And it's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Is there any difference? Um, Verse 20 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, in a large house... There are not only gold and silver vessels, 
but also those of wood and clay, some for honourable use and some for dishonourable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonourable, he'll be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I read that because you could read the start of that passage. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay. You could read that and go, ah, I'm the wood and clay, but Nigel is the silver and the gold. And it's a fixed reality. I'm not going to be useful for the master. But it says, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So it's not what you start as, It's simply what you do with that. And I think we can apply that to this parable that Jesus gives us. Where the soil, the fact that we identify and go, hang on a sec, it's the worries of this life that have actually choked me like thorns. We can identify that. It doesn't mean that's going to be our continued reality. We can actually live a different life from this point on. So we're going to take a couple of minutes um, before we sing our final song just to share with someone next to you. So I'd say in pairs, it could be in as many as a group of three, to be able just to consider that particular parable from the context of the kingdom. So In terms of coming into the kingdom, it's to hear what Jesus says and to obey it. What would stop you? What has stopped you from obeying him? And one of the things that stops us from obeying him is not actually being clear on what he says. But have a look at that in Matthew 13 and self-diagnose and pray for one another. What are the bigger temptations for you in those spaces? There's an exclamation point when John the Baptist says it, and Jesus is a little more understated. So John's excited, and Jesus is a bit more chilled about it. He's like, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Whereas John's like, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Does anyone have any translation other than the CSB? Because I had a look for this during the week. And I didn't look at every single translation I could find, but I just looked at like five or six, and none of those had an exclamation point at the end of um, John's statement. Anyhow, my point is not that there's an exclamation mark on one and not the other. It's just that it's the same phrase. If we were to turn, maybe let's do this. Let's turn over to Luke, sorry, to Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse... 14. There you go. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, there is an exclamation mark. It does seem strange to me that I'd put an exclamation mark after one and not the other. There's no punctuation in the Greek, and they've just decided to put it in for that one, but not when Jesus said it, only when John said it. (laughs) Anyhow, um, in Mark chapter 1, so going to verse 15. So here we have what Jesus 
proclaimed. So verse 14 says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Very similar. What's added there that's not in the Matthew? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Matthew doesn't mention the fact that the time is fulfilled. So we get that here in Mark. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Or many other translations say repent and believe the gospel. Here's a really interesting point that I remember seeing a number of years ago and not being able to give a real answer for. So if this here is Jesus at the start of his ministry and he's saying repent and believe the gospel, what is the gospel? How do we usually understand the gospel? It certainly does. Yeah, it is good news that God loves us. What else do we understand the gospel as being? So often, the gospel is summarized as Jesus died for our sins. And here is Jesus as he starts his ministry before he goes to the cross and he says, repent and believe the gospel. That seems a little unfair. If the gospel is simply that Jesus died for our sins, here is Jesus saying, repent and believe something that is going to happen later on, which seems a little unfair, doesn't it, for those who are in that particular um, place and time. But Jesus tells us to repent and believe the gospel. This is a slightly more robust uh, statement than what we get in Matthew. But they both contain some really critical words that we're going to spend some time looking at today. Who's excited? Thank you for humoring me. I believe you. We're excited to get stuck into this together. There's um, a tragic incident that happened in 1997 with a fighter pilot um, who crashed and died. And when they looked into it, so this happened in Arizona. Um, It was a 29-year-old pilot and... They were in a training exercise and what they were able to work out was that this pilot was flying upside down and because of the previous manoeuvres, they didn't realise they were upside down. And they went to fly up, which of course was down, and they flew to their death in the Arizona desert. A tragic story, but an interesting thing that I think happens so often where people are disoriented in this life. So often, we as people don't know which way is up and which way is down. That had very quick consequences, sometimes in our life, not understanding which way is up and which way is down has much slower consequences. But what I want to suggest to you as we get stuck into this for today is that we are called to live according to God's kingdom and not according to the kingdoms of this world. And they are opposed to each other. And there are realities that people are convinced of in this world that are absolutely opposed to the realities of the kingdom 
of heaven. We read Matthew chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago, and I've got my own addition to Matthew chapter 4 that I want to read out to you just now. Um, So this is just a little bit from uh, verses 19, sorry, verse 18 and 19, Um, and then I've just put in a little bit of a little bit extra, uh, so we can pick up where I've just um, had it in my own. So as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Not literally followed him, but they were moved. Like spiritually, they were with him absolutely 100%. They were with Jesus and they were like, yep, when this day of fishing is done, I am with you, man. You are the king. You are my Lord. You are my savior. It is all about you. I love you. I worship you. None of that was said out loud because that would be weird and embarrassing. And not embarrassing for them. They weren't ashamed. It was just they didn't want to make other people feel awkward. They wanted to respect other people's right to not be confronted uh, by that, and they were definitely going to follow him. Now, they were definitely going to follow him. If it wasn't the end of that day, it was going to be the end of that week, uh, or maybe end of the month, or maybe when they retired. But at some point in their life, they were absolutely going to follow Jesus, and it was going to be amazing. And in the meantime, um, that Sabbath, definitely they were going to be in the synagogue. Um, and pretty soon, they were going to start reading the Torah for themselves. They were going to like, get out the scrolls and just learn how to read. And then they were going to just digest that thing so hard. They were going to get stuck into the Scriptures and it was going to be amazing. Um, and they were just going to, like when things quietened down, they were going to spend so much time with him and just be devoted to him. It would just be a matter of trying to find where he was and that would be fully enough. I don't know if you picked up where I went off the script a little bit, but... It feels ridiculous to think of Peter and Andrew and James and John figuratively following Jesus. They literally followed Jesus. Jesus was there and they walked where he walked. They stayed close by him, so they literally followed him. When we talk about following Jesus, often it's a figurative reality. Figuratively speaking, I'm following Jesus. And we can look at those in first century Palestine and think that they had it somehow easier than what we have it in following Jesus. And in some respects they did because they had a physical Jesus that they could follow around. But... We have so much now that they didn't have back then. You see, Jesus at that time was a man who walked the earth. Jesus now is someone who has had more time and energy devoted to them than anyone else in history. There are more books written about Jesus than about anyone else. This is the most recognizable symbol on the face of the earth because of Jesus. We have so much that they did not have. And so, obviously, it's impossible for us to trade places with someone from first century Palestine, and so it's a a moot point. But for them in that time, there were many challenges in following Jesus. 
And all they really needed to do was the same things that we need to do now, which was to find out where he was, to find out what he was saying, and to be obedient to it. And as we read this story of these fishermen who were doing what they had planned on doing every day or every week, six days a week for the rest of their lives. They planned on doing that. That's what they expected they were going to be doing, was fishing for the rest of their lives. They were doing their regular daily activity and they expected to be doing that for the rest of their lives and Jesus called them and they dropped everything and they followed him. It's a big deal. Jesus called them and they said yes. It's a game changer. For us, there are challenges in following Jesus when he is not physically walking the earth as he did 2,000 years ago. But it is just a matter of us finding out what he says and then obeying what he says. So looking at this statement, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. We're going to start with the word repent. Has anyone heard the word repent in a non-church slash religious context? I'm curious. Has anyone? I don't think I have. The word repent means literally to change the way you think. And up until about five or six years ago, the main thing that I'd heard associated with the word repent was to turn around. So a pretty common understanding. And I've said it many times before that um, when it comes to turning from your sin, that the biggest thing about repentance is not so much what you're turning away from, but it's who you're turning to. And so, yes, there is this sense of turning away from your sin, but the most important thing is that you're turning to Jesus. So turning from the sin of gossip to being so proud that you don't gossip anymore is not helpful, but turning from gossip to the one who sets you free from gossip and everything else is a game changer. And so that's how I always understood repentance was the turning. So you turn around. um, And I think it's helpful because it's something concrete that you do. Whereas changing the way you think can just be a thing of like, oh yeah, I don't think that way anymore. I still live the same as I always lived. I just think differently. And that's not helpful. So to repent is literally to change the way you think, but it does result in action. And we just spent, we just read from um, Matthew chapter 3. We had a look at what John the Baptist says um, to people that had come out, like that nice seeker-friendly message that he gave to people that happened to be there um, on one of his baptism days. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? He tells them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he tells them to live out the reality of their repentance. So don't just repent in your mind. Don't just change the way you think. Don't just for one moment, you know, do things differently. 
but actually bear fruit that lines up with your new way of thinking. You do, excuse me, you live a different life as a result of your repentance. This phrase here will come back to a little bit later, but we are to repent. We are to change the way we think, and it is to result in action. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near, or other translations say, is at hand. It's a really interesting phrase, and it's one of those ones that can be very familiar, and so we don't pick up the gravity of it. So let's have a look at the word kingdom for a start. So we actually all have a kingdom. Every single one of us has a kingdom or a queendom. It is simply the place of our effective rule. Do you mind if I have a look in your handbag, Emma? I'm kidding. I'm not actually going to have a look in your handbag. If I was just to go up to someone and have a look in their handbag, chances are you're going to feel something. You're going to react in a certain way. I'll probably feel something soon afterwards after trying that one on someone. Like that is part of your queendom. That is something that is a part of your direct rule and reign. You have responsibility over it. You have control over it. If someone was to try and take it from you, there would be resistance because it's yours. And a simple task that we often complicate when it comes to God's kingdom is to take our kingdom and to make it part of his. First and foremost, we take our own kingdom and make it part of his. Often we want to take someone else's kingdom and make it part of his we want to find something that's completely out of our sphere of influence and go, that should be part of the kingdom now. First and foremost, we start with what we have a say over, what we have control over. And that's our bodies. <laughs> that's our time. That's our money. And it does involve other things other than that. But it's our, our own kingdom, our own queendom that we submit and bring under his kingdom. So there's 50 times that Jesus speaks about the kingdom in Matthew alone. It's a lot of times. 28 chapters, 50 references to the kingdom. The kingdom is a big deal. Such a big deal that if I was to say one thing that the gospel of Matthew was primarily concerned with, it's the kingdom of heaven. If I was to say, what was Jesus primarily concerned with in what he taught while on earth? It would be the kingdom of heaven. Or I might say the kingdom of God. Because whilst this term kingdom of heaven that we just read in Matthew a couple of times appears 32 times in Matthew, kingdom of heaven. So the word kingdom, 50 times, 32 of those, it's kingdom of heaven. It doesn't appear in the New Testament other than in Matthew. What, are, what do we get in every other gospel? Well, in Mark and Luke, the kingdom of God. So we've got kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And they are used in an interchangeable way. However, 
Matthew uses kingdom of heaven for a reason. And I'm confident that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven as well as saying the kingdom of God. But he used that word for a reason. Yet it can confuse us. Because the danger in talking about heaven is that for most people in our society, and I think for us a lot of the time, when we think of heaven, what do we think of? Sometime, not now. Yeah. We think of a place that's in a different dimension, maybe, and we'll go there when? After we die. So we die, and it's this removed place. We can't access it in any way. We can't see it, but it's other. It is different from us. Different from where we are right now, I should say. So repent because the kingdom of heaven is, has come near. The kingdom of heaven is not just talking about a reality that impacts us after we die. The kingdom of heaven is talking about something that impacts us right here, right now. The word that is translated as heaven, if we were to do, take a bit more time and do a study of Acts chapter 11, we would see there's three times in quick succession the word that is translated as heaven is used. One time it's heaven, another time it's sky, another time it's air. They are three very different words to us. Heaven, air, and sky. If you were to put them in order of most removed, probably you'd say heaven, and then sky, and then air. Like we breathe air. Yeah? It's a very close reality for us. If we were to say the kingdom of air has come near... I think that's going to be quite different for us than the kingdom of heaven. I'm glad it doesn't say kingdom of air because it would bring other complications. But the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This drink bottle is at hand. I can choose to pick it up. I can choose to put it down. I thought I was onto a winner with this Camelback drink bottle because there is this um, thing called backwash. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. So when Eden, who's about to turn two, wants to drink from my drink bottle, there is no chance she's going to backwash into this one. And it's going to work out really, really well. Um, And she hasn't backwashed into it, but she just bites this thing off every single time. Like she'll actually bite it and take it off and it hasn't worked. Quite it's amazing. But I think the idea of a one-way valve is an interesting one to consider when it comes to, to heaven. So we tend to see heaven as a far-off reality, but if heaven has come near, as near as the air around us, so it's present to us here and now, When Jesus says things like, store up treasure in heaven, that's quite different. When Jesus says, this is how you should pray, our Father who is in heaven, 
that's quite different as well. So the word heaven there, I think it's helpful for us to think of the power and authority of the Father when we say our Father who is in heaven. But it's also helpful for us to say, well, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's not this distant God, but he is right here, right now. And if we are storing up treasures in heaven, if we have, as it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. Does that mean we get it when we die? How does inheritance work? Do you get inheritance when you die? You get inheritance when somebody else dies. Who died that we would receive inheritance? Jesus died. And that's already happened. And so when it comes to having an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, yes, there's things that we will access to a whole new level on the other side. But I think we miss what we have access to right here, right now. And I think this one-way valve helps in some way in understanding it. I can draw upon this water. I can actually bring that into my body. But I can't put anything back in there to pollute it, to mess with it. If it's kept in heaven for us, where it can't be defiled, it can't be messed with in any way, no one can touch what is kept in heaven for us, but we can access it. And it's for us in the here and now. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Suddenly, Jesus is announcing a reality that's very different. And if we were to try and get into the Jewish mindset, the people that he's speaking to at that time, they did not think of heaven the way that we think of heaven today. And there are a couple of realities I want to look at very quickly. And that is the temple and Sabbath. So in understanding heaven, there was a place and there was a time that was very significant to the Jewish people. So the temple was where heaven and earth met. The temple was the dwelling place of Almighty God. And the Sabbath was this foretelling. It was this experience of heaven here and now and looking forward to what was to come, the permanent rest of God. A day of rest, delight, and worship. It's a beautiful thing. So for the Jewish people, there was some context for understanding heaven being here. But Jesus says, change the way you think. The kingdom of heaven is here. It is at hand. It has come to us. It is not a distant reality, but it's actually here now. Jesus didn't create the kingdom as he walked the earth. The kingdom pre-exists people, 
He just made it available. It had always been there, but he made it accessible and available to people. And we, and he didn't then, when he died on the cross, resurrected, ascended up to heaven, he didn't take the kingdom back with him. Kingdom remained. Kingdom is still here. We still have the kingdom at hand. Jesus makes it available to anyone and everyone. And what I'm excited to do, um, we'll hit it, hit it up in a couple of weeks' time, is launch into Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, often called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, uh, we have a lot of teaching, a lot of things that Jesus had to say about what the kingdom is and what it isn't. And... I want us to understand the kingdom. I want to get a better grasp on the kingdom. I want all of us to have a better grasp on the kingdom because we are constantly being discipled by the world around us. Every time that we read media, social media, any media, chances are it's, well, depending on who you're subscribing to, what you're listening to, there is so much that is anti the kingdom of heaven in terms of the messages that are given to us. So we need to be intentional about putting ourselves in a position where we can actually hear and receive the message of the kingdom. So for those four fishermen who stopped what they were doing and followed Jesus, they said no to some very significant things so they could say yes to Jesus. We are called to say no to some pretty significant things so that we can say yes to Jesus, so we can hear what he has to say and we can put it into practice. As I think about my own life and answering the call of Jesus where he says, follow me, man, I've been so confused so many times about what that means to follow him. And I think of... As a teenager, early 20s, like I said yes to Jesus. As a 16-year-old, I said yes to him, I'm going to follow you. And I served in church, was involved in leadership stuff with youth ministry. Um, I was able to preach a few times. And when I thought about Jesus, it resonated deeply. I was like, this is what it's all about. There was something that resonated really deeply. However... When I was confronted by my footy teammates, when I was confronted by people at school and at uni, there were some times I stood my ground, but a lot of the times I was influenced far more by them than they were by me. And I think about who I was when no one was watching, and I definitely didn't demonstrate the kingdom consistently in my own personal life. If I thought no one was watching, I took advantage and it wasn't for the sake of the kingdom. Selfish, stupid things. Because like my understanding was very much that it was this future reality of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus was my way of forgiveness of sins and entry into that kingdom which wasn't for this world. But if we understand that Jesus has inaugurated a kingdom that is here and now, 
And we're actually destined to be a part of that kingdom and to call others into it and to see his effective reign and rule increase in McLaren Vale and Aldinga and Seaford and Wollonga and Queensland. Giddy up. To not just have something that resonates with us, but have something that we actually put into practice and changes things around us. It changes communities because it has actually changed us. And I think I've improved in a lot of the areas, but I've still got a long way to go. Like I think about the leaving everything to follow him. I'm like, oh, I mean, I left, Christian and I left a full-time ministry role in order to plant this church, and that's got risk associated with it. There's a following after him involved in that. But I want to follow him with everything. And as I consider the parable of the sower, the four different soils in Matthew chapter 13, let's invite you to turn over there. I think the worries of this life, as I consider the past year, if I was to read this parable and try and assess what the biggest threat to my fruitfulness has been, it's been the worries of this life. Let's have a read of this. So on that day, this is uh, Matthew 13 verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred. I love how it starts with the biggest. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Then the next part is Jesus explaining to or responding to a question his disciples asked. But we'll jump to verse 18 where he explains that parable. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. You could read that and assume that your soil is 
a fixed reality. In other words, whatever's happened up to this point is bound to continue because Jesus said there's four types of soil. If I'm this type of soil on the rocky ground, what hope is there for me? I take a lot of hope in a verse uh, from Timothy where, all right, Father, I ask that you would reveal this to us right here, right now, not so that we would be condemned, but so that we would identify, repent, and be set free. I pray that right here, right now, there would be the fear of persecution, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life that would actually drop off.